0: This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman.
1: Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you for everyone around the world tuning in. We have a global audience. I just taped a show yesterday from The guest was in Paris, today it is Australia, and wherever you're listening, we're really just so connected. I appreciate the notes, the letters, the guest suggestions. Thank you for tuning in. There's a lot you could do with your time. Also, thanks to Matthew Wayne Selznick, the technical wizard on the West Coast, and all the Patreons. Today's guest is going to talk about a topic that I think is probably the most important topic, because without a livable world, all the other issues vanish. He writes a brilliant blog, and he's been bringing up the concept of degrowth. He's a climate activist, a journalist, I would say a writer. Welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Martin Tai. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for that intro.
1: And you were out surfing this morning to talk about that, just so the folks like myself currently in a colder climate uh, maybe live vicariously and also feel a little bit of jealousy
0: yeah all right well I'll, I'll talk it up then you know i get i go out most mornings at first light look for a wave somewhere and i'm lucky enough to live in a part of the world where there's usually something it was okay this morning but being out on a surfboard watching the sunrise and sliding into a few waves is sort of how i like to start my day so we're i'm in australia so we've got summer at the moment so the weather's good um what better way to start
1: i just interviewed a guy paul de groomer who was attacked he's a special seal diver And he got a a part of his leg and an arm bit off by the bull shark in the harbor. And But he is actually turned into an activist for the sharks. Have you ever seen any out there? I used to snorkel and do stuff in Florida and other places. And they're beautiful to behold. And they usually don't want any trouble. It's If it's murky, they might take a bite to see. Have you had any experience with them down there?
0: Yeah, I feel like that. Um, in fact, only two or three weeks ago, I surfed right over the top of about an eight-foot shark that was down the bottom. It was grey in colour. I couldn't identify it. I don't know for sure. Um, but you know, it it just swam away, and I told the other surfers out there what I'd seen, and nobody got out. Um, we just figured that it was down the bottom doing its business. And I have left a, a very strict message with my friends and my family that if a shark ever has a go at me and takes my leg off, well. You know, it's just doing its thing, and I I would never want any revenge on the sharks. So, you know, I, they're already under enough pressure around the world, and um that's just it. Just happens. You know, you you get in a car, you could you could have a crash and lose a limb. You get in the surf, it can happen. Um, you know, I I love the sharks.
1: It's actually your odds are much greater for something bad in the road. It's it's easier to win the lottery than to have that happen. And I I have instructions from my, my friends if I ever am attacked or I'm bleeding out let me die that's a reboot I I don't want any heroic stories like the guy who came on I just that's a it's been a great run yeah yeah
0: I'm a bit the same way
1: have you seen a lot of evidence there with the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef and other things with climate change personally
0: well I'm further south than that but I actually live in uh, southern New South Wales and have I seen it well yes we had we had the worst drought I go into the what we call the bush, the, the, the forests, I suppose you'd call them. Um, and a couple of years ago, going up there was was becoming a nightmare because it was so dry. We were, we'd had the worst drought we'd had in the, all the farmers. Nobody could remember a drought like that. And even the weather records confirmed it. The Worst drought we've probably ever had in this part of the world. Then, of course, that was followed by the horrendous bushfires, which might have made the news elsewhere. Um, I lived through that, that was just awful. And then since then we've now had flooding. So the, such a thing as a normal year seems to have disappeared. Um, now, I know it's only a very short survey sample and and maybe not enough on its own to, to claim, oh, this is climate change. But when you stack it up against all the other scientific measurements and, and things going on around the world, it's pretty clear evidence to me that the climate is changing. And when it's changing this quickly on a scale that we can notice in a matter of decades, and you look at past climate variations that took hundreds, thousands of years, it's really, really scary stuff.
1: You nailed it too, and it's irrefutable. The only people that try to deny it are on a payroll with the, with the oil companies. And even the oil companies years ago had all the data and predicted almost exactly where we would be in terms of carbon in the atmosphere today amazing they withheld it and lied but they did get it right they had the right scientists
0: yeah look there's a saying it's hard to get somebody to believe something when their job depends on them not believing it and um i think that applies very much there's a lot of money to be made out of out of perpetuating business as usual founded on the sort of leads into our topic on the economic growth gdp growth type concept the the concept that we can grow our economies endlessly on a finite planet and and the only reason we're achieving the growth we're achieving now is because we've plundered the earth um, basically stolen from our children to achieve the current scale that we're at with our economies and populations and consumption habits and all of that um, and that's why i um this is the perfect lead into what i do is i talk about degrowth and try to get people onto the idea of reducing the scale of the human economy
1: that sounds so obvious to me and practical because it's a fantasy to continue to grow abundantly forever on a finite resource planet. Why are we so limited in that we won't see that? Is it just that we've so been conditioned that growth, growth, growth is all there is, that we are incapable of imagining a different future in a different way?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the people with money tied up in, in business as usual control the narrative. And um, you know, one of the ways they diffuse um, the problem is to is to talk about things like green growth um, like renewables obviously we know we've got to shift to renewables but where it goes wrong is that that quickly gets turned into well we can continue with current scale and we continue to grow the economies and as I said populations and consumption we've just got to substitute pull out fossil fuels and substitute in renewables well I'm afraid it doesn't work that way it that won't work that way and there are a whole lot of other ecological impacts besides generating our energy so you know like those things are great and on all the other measures people talk about but not in the context of growth as to, as a backup and support to degrowth uh, and I, I should really if you don't mind I'll explain what degrowth is because people confuse it with collapse you now collapse is what happens when a, an economy say that seeks endless growth suddenly Finds that the resources are running out and and it just basically loses control and and falls in a big heap with chaos and starvation and all sorts of horrible things. Degrowth is a conscious decision and it's planned and it's managed and it's organised and it's just about people getting together and saying, we need to shrink our impact, we need to shrink the scale of the economy and setting new targets and new new progress indicators. It's organised and it's planned and it has a goal. And that goal is the other organization I stand for, which is the Center for the Advancement of Steady State Economy, the Steady State Economy, which is an economy in a state of dynamic balance established within ecological limits, within carrying capacity. So that's the goal. That's the point degrowth wants to take us to. It's not an endless process. So that's, that's the sort of message I'm trying to get out there.
1: When did you first get so involved? Was there a personal tipping point for you? Did you have kids? Did you see something? Well, I have to imagine you weren't always so deeply invested and so uh, active.
0: Well, it's interesting you should say that because where I I think I can trace all this back to is when I was young, um, my father was in the forces. He was in the Australian Air Force and he spent time during the Vietnam War in America. And we were over there and we spent time there and I was watching a lot of the social movements that were going on there and and I would have only been like 13 and seeing, you know, the protest movements and the environment movement. But I remember watching a particular video that was, it was to do with population growth, I think, but it was pretty much focusing on the life of a family of um, water birds in a swamp or or wetland, I should say. And it was being filled in for a shopping mall and it showed, you know, the bulldozers and this these little ducklings it was very emotive Um, but basically I'm thinking you know what are we doing here filling in these beautiful places and just expanding constantly into nature and I was only about 13 and I think it's sort of that sort of sat with me and I was always you know then I got into sort of the normal life that everyone gets into you know going out drinking with your mates and then getting married and having kids and all these things happen and then once you've got a bit of time back on your hands you sort of come back to it so I've come back to it about probably 10 or 15 years ago, I'm 65 now, and um, got heavily involved with, with all this sort of messaging, I, I only wish I'd have done something earlier, because a lot of times lapsed, and we've lost a lot of opportunities since those days of the 60s. But um, yeah, so that th- that would be my starting point quite a long time ago.
1: Given everything now that we know, and the trajectory and the rate and the lack of will to do anything about it isn't collapse inevitable it's just a matter of how severe how soon and what it will look like
0: yeah, yeah maybe so maybe so um i i have i have a number of sayings i like my little sayings um one of my sayings is that it's never too late to make things better than it would have been had you done nothing um and so i think we can always make things better the the traject the so certain things are locked in obviously but there are things we could do and start doing today that would ease the pain and make the transition to that future world in balance um, with a, with in balance with the uh, environment and our resources and all that sort of thing that transition has to happen one day the, the amount of pain we have to go through beforehand you know are we smart enough to minimize that there will be some pain but we are, all, we are intelligent people and as a, as a species, and, and I'd like to think we could work our way through it, but we have to be honest about the scale of the problem in front of us. There's too much um, smoothing it over and minimising it and just saying, oh, well, you know, just renewables will solve it. We need a an, an holistic approach and we need an economic framework within which to manage that holistic approach. And if we can't put our minds to that level, then we may well just go down the sink with economic growth and and all the short-term profit parasites that, that are running the planet at the moment. And then who knows what will come out the other end. But um, I think we can do it. We can make it better and we can minimise the pain. But you're probably right. Certain things probably are already locked in.
1: If the listener wanted to get involved or what are some of the things we could start doing? I know you can change the light bulbs and do a lot of stuff, but we really need global collective effort on a government scale, massive scale, like a Marshall Plan. You mentioned uh, Vietnam War. That was after World War Two for those listening. What are some of the things uh, you've written about that we could do?
0: Well, obviously, all the little things you're, you're mentioning, like using less energy personally, um you know, switching to the renewable energy sources and but but basically addressing the energy problem from the demand side as much as the supply side. All those little things, people talk about meat-free diets which have less impact. Um, there are a number of things. They're all out there and they're all easy but they have to be done in the right context. And in terms of promoting the context, um, I think people need to start talking about understanding what degrowth is and not confusing it with collapse and understanding that it actually offers... if if you're looking forward into the future, it offers everybody the possibility of a far better life than the current system. Now, one of my roles is with the Centre for the Advancement of the Steady State Economy. As I said, they're based in the US. I'm the Australian Regional um, Divisional Director here. We have a position statement there, um, which uh, against growth on the website there, which you can go to, I think it's steadystate.org. Follow them, follow me on Twitter, sign the statement, start reading. The, once you start reading and following links and get yourself into these things, you can educate yourself because education is is always the key, isn't it? So there's plenty of things we can do. Um, if you're in Australia, I'm also a um, representative of Sustainable Population Australia, which deals with the role of population growth in economic growth and in consumption growth and things like that um, as part of the, the, the response so i just say to people start educating yourself and then become active
1: martin what would degrowth look like over the next five to ten years if it was a gradual we eased it in we started to implement these policies what would it actually look like in the world like say with the airlines with uh, the way we consume the consumer economy with advertising what, what do you see
0: well I, I see all of those things all the superfluous things being discarded. Things, if you could make the sacrifice of not going on a holiday overseas and instead, you know, taking your family to a local area nearby for, for a bit of a family holiday. Things like that. I, I see those sorts of things happening. Um, obviously, if we were with, if we'd adopted a degrowth path, we would have new performance indicators and they would be around. St- Um, measuring social outcomes, environmental outcomes, instead of just this reliance on GDP and the assumption that because the economy is getting bigger, that means everything's fine. So we would be uh, focusing our efforts towards those progress indicators. So in Australia, for example, we have a housing crisis, more and more people without a home. So we'd be looking at that. And in the degrowth world, we'd be saying, okay, we're taking the pressure off demand for housing and so we're going to have, we're going to see that figure improving. Our goal is to do whatever it takes to see more people in a home. That's one example. The, another progress indi- indicator may be around our ecosystem. So instead of seeing them all being bulldozed for farmland and for housing estates as we see here in Australia, we would see that process slowing and then gradually reversing and gradually over probably more than five or 10 years, but we'd start giving back. And it's about giving back rather than taking is probably a good theme to answer your question.
1: And you mentioned the GMP, which has been completely hijacked, that unless the economy is growing, it's not good. And that's not what it was originally designed for. And like we said earlier, you just can't keep growing. So we would need different matrix, metrics too to, to figure out exactly what is success. How many trees have we planted? What's the carbon numbers look like? How many people... Were homeless who now have a home. Uh, do we have enough food for everybody? That kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, as you say, well, we call it GDP. You call it GNP, I think, but it's the same thing. Um, yeah, it was never mentioned, never intended as a, as a complete measure of economic performance. It just measures money flows, basically, good and bad, all lumped together. So it's a deeply flawed um, measure. And yet, I think um, Stiglitz said, you are what you measure and at the moment we measure that and everything is focused on keeping that growing now it's just such a shallow destructive um dangerous thing to do when really no business would measure its performance by saying you know we're turning over more money even though that was being achieved by bit by bit breaking up the factory and selling off the parts and uh, you know that it's it's that bad and so you're right the the performance indicators and people who are already doing work on GPIs gen, um, genuine progress indicators it's there's work out there and we're just not listening to the right people so perhaps there's another tip going forward is start listening to different people listening to different voices
1: and there definitely is a collective denial I don't know if our brains are not designed to deal with long-term crises that are hard to you know like a roaring lion or a fire in a building but there just this seems to be this collective, of no, we're not sure or we'd rather not deal with it or, or it's overwhelming. And we just don't want to do anything either. We're just going to go take our pills or watch a lot of cat videos.
0: Yeah, and and look, a lot of it comes back to money. There's, there's not, at the moment, there's not money flowing into our message. So our message just gets drowned out, we get called a bunch of lunatics and, um, you, you know, all sorts of false propaganda and false messages around what might happen is are being fed through the media. Um, but it, there's all, there's lots of reasons. I mean, I can understand it. People are born into a, a paradigm. The narrative is from the time they're born has always been, this is the world. This is the only way. How do you make people see, how do you make a, you know, I think you referred to a lion. How do you make a lion that's in a, a wildlife park surrounded by walls see that there could possibly be a, a world out there where they roam the, the savannas and chase down their prey and raise their cubs and and interact with the the whole what the wider world when every day their food's thrown over the fence. Um so you know how how do you make people I don't know. All I know is just to get out there and keep talking and plugging away and let's just hope. I think if a high profile person were to suddenly come out and have the courage to come out and talk this stuff. Um maybe switch camps um maybe that would help but uh, at the moment it's people like me and maybe you and plenty of us but but we really do lack the the punch of the, the bigger players
1: yes and here in america they barely ever cover it but they'll cover the in these salacious scandals that are meaningless all the time yes distractions What's the vibe in Australia? Are they dealing with it? Are they talking about it? Or is it? I know you had a horrible Prime Minister in Morrison. How's the new leader? Same ship,
0: different captain. Yeah, we were glad to get or most of us glad to get rid of Morrison. He was pretty bad. But um, look, the fundamentals haven't changed. In fact, if anything, the the new party is supposedly the, the working person's party. But if anything, their economic policies have gone even more neoliberal than than the previous. It's like they're trying to outdo each other. Um so no, there's it's not, you know, they're better at the managing things, better at the facade. The previous lot didn't even pretend to be green in any way. It was just like, you know, if you're green, then you know you're you're a problem. You're in the standing in the way of progress. These guys are better at putting a green face on their policies, but if you look at at, at what they're doing, um, they are just as destructive um as as the previous then nothing's
1: changed how do you talk to your children about it
0: oh that's a really good question um yeah talking to family talking to children you have to see if they're interested um my children uh, well they're grown up now they're in their 20s and 30s Uh, and my wife um well you know maybe they just don't want to know about it and i'm not going to let it interfere with my family and family life i don't want to drive divisions and um so i don't necessarily they know what i stand for they know what i talk about um but i leave it up to them if they want to engage and you know so far i guess i was the same at that age they're busy with their lives they're young they've got girlfriends and new houses and other things on their mind so it's so i have to target other audiences
1: so you're not like a born-again christian who just keeps pounding the the climate bible to them
0: no no i i look i really well maybe that works for born again christians i don't know but it, it, i don't think it works in this message you've got to. you've got to sense some sort of sense of interest before you pursue it i, I do it with my friends too and with you know people out in the surf and general conversations oh the topic might come up and then i you've got to be good at reading the vibe if they're really not interested Um, there's no good sort of banging the the fist on the Bible and saying, what's the matter with you? You, You've just got to let it go. But there are enough people interested and enough people, and, you know, if we can educate them and and teach them how to promote the message, then, you know, I guess that's the network, is through the people that are
1: interested and engaged. Here's a tough question, a kind of sobering, honest one. Wouldn't the Earth and all the different species no matter microbes, birds, fish, mammals, wouldn't they all be better off if the human species did go away, or at least got down to maybe a million people, where it wasn't such a horrific, cancerous parasite?
0: Well, that's not a tough question. That's an easy question. The obvious answer is yes. If I'm if I'm sitting here as as Mother Nature uh, in my green leafy coat, you know I'm going to answer yes to that because. we we are not we've made no effort to fit in and be part of it we've just basically exploited and plundered and destroyed so but having said that um i think we have i'd like to think i hope we have the capability to change that attitude and to once again fit within this greater scheme of things um so you know maybe that's being overly optimistic but I, i i just hope that an awareness comes about where we value our planet and the beauty and the the trees and the fish and and the birds and and these things become valuable and we we don't want to destroy them for economic gain and we we are capable in the right numbers of of living of not destroying the planet and everyone having a good life and that's the vision i cling to
1: how do you deal with the inevitable grief that comes with what we're seeing because we're already seeing like you talked about the floods, the fire, the drought. It was incredible in Australia so many animals died. And we're seeing it in the United States and all over the world. You know, I think it was half of Pakistan was underwater a few months ago. And and then the, all the rivers were drying up this summer. I try to strike a balance where I'm aware enough to do this show, but I'm not so aware that they find me hanging.
0: Yeah, I go surfing. Yeah, look, I think people, everybody, especially when they're committed to a cause, has to have an out, whether it's surfing, bushwalking, painting, singing, doesn't matter. You've got to have other things in your life. Um, it's a part of my life. It's a big part of my life, but it's not my whole life.
1: You wrote a, a wonderful piece in early December, and I'd love you to address it here for everyone so they could hear it now. And there is a link up for to Martin's uh, Substack or his median page so you can read this i love this question and what you did with it will you share is the developed world really developed
0: oh well yeah look i don't think so and i think it's declining and the point i'm making in that particular article on medium is that with the develop within the developed world there is so much poverty so much mental illness so much inequality um the developed world appears developed to the outside because they're looking at these images on soap operas and things like that, but they're not looking at the back blocks of the cities where people join gangs and um, you know, people can't afford a home or or struggling to pay their bills, their their rent or food. It's not the developed world is not this uniformly happy place where everyone is is holding hands and rejoicing as as people try to. Maybe, maybe people in the developed world that think that that's what it is. So, I think there's a there's a lot of problems in the developed world, and I think those problems, from what I see in Australia anyway, are worsening. Well, I know they are. I know they're worsening. I know young people are suffering more stress and more mental illness and uncertainty about their future. Climate change hanging over their heads. That, That it doesn't matter whether which part of the world you're in. You're not going to escape that. So. The develop, what I was talking about in that article, I was just trying to point out that the developed world has a hell of a lot of problems, and we need to look at those as well.
1: And this culture of just consumption, consumption, and throwaway culture, it trivializes everything. And when you were talking about unhappiness, and we have massive fatigue here, we have uh, all kinds of mental illness, isolation, sadness. You cannot find fulfillment through things and stuff we all know that and yet the trance and the advertising here never stops it's really sad but we we know it doesn't work it's not like a theory i have it's we know for a fact
0: yes exactly i mean beyond a certain point everybody needs certain fundamentals to have a good life like a a a home and and a few things you know like in modern times a, a television and a computer and somewhere to cook and somewhere to keep your food cool and you know, these sorts of things, but to pursue endlessly more uh, rather than having the capacity to say, I've got enough, um, and that's that's consumerism and that's what the current system encourages because all of that spending adds to GDP. In Australia recently, um, we, the, the news headlines were that consumer spending was down 3% over the Christmas period, and that was cast as bad news because that you know we haven't been going out buying crap over Christmas now to me that's like oh great we spent less money there's less waste there's less materials being used and disposed of good news that degrowth might see that as a good news story And, and adjustments can be made around that you know it's not the end of the world if we're planning it we know that we're going to be reducing spending on toys and and things like that then it can be we can sort that out. But yeah, that's that's the consumerism thing. That's economic growth. The more we spend and it also comes into the population issue because it's not about how much each person spends only, it's about how many people are spending. And that's why we're seeing from the corporates such a huge push for the developed world to increase their populations. In Australia, they've gone insane on it. Just, they're just they've just gone mad about increasing our population, which means more consumers. Now, Australia is a very unique continent in that it's it's very dry, it has very poor soils. Only 6% of our landmass is classified as arable. That is good soils, reliable rainfall, 6%. And a lot of that's getting built on with housing estates right now. So, you know, this whole growth, 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 whether it be in populations, consumption, um, it's just and driving consumerism, you know, as you and I know, and I wish more people understood, it it certainly has an end date, and that end date is very, very soon.
1: I was just reading a uh, piece a couple hours ago about the uh, Colorado is dry, drying up out west here in America, and it is supplies the drinking water for 40 million Americans. So what happens when that goes dry? It's the worst drought in 12 centuries that they can measure. Where are 40 million people gonna go? What kind of climate refugees in this country alone? We've seen it around the world. Where are they gonna to go to have water suddenly? How are they gonna get there?
0: Yeah, I don't know. And then, okay, let's just to take that scenario. Just say half of them, 20 million, decided to move to another state because that state actually has plenty of water. They turn up on the doorstep. Suddenly you've got a housing crisis. The health system's not coping. The, the water and sewerage, all the infrastructure's not coping. You can't, this is the thing about climate change, that we have, we've established our settlement patterns based around stability, and we've established our infrastructure, our agricultural areas and our and our city infrastructures around relative stability, relative predictability. But if climate change drives unpredictability, we don't know where people are going to go, what they're going to do, and how do we provide for them if suddenly those 40 million people need to move for water? It's Then you've got a massive economic problem. Um, it, it's just growth drives instability the further we go beyond sustainable scale beyond the exceed the limits to growth the more unstable everything will become and that surely at some point even the corporates that are invested in the system will see this is not good for their share values um and maybe they will start to act but at the moment I guess they're all still in denial but um Yeah, I saw that about America. I saw the the rivers drying up. So you've got a combination of ever more people and and ever less reliable climatic patterns. It's a recipe for a humanitarian tragedy.
1: So really, all we can do is what we're doing here is we can talk about it, educate ourselves, and then make personal changes, share it where people are open, and hope that like the 100 monkey theory, enough of it catches on sooner than later. because there will be less suffering, less collapse. It's like, or we'll learn the hard way. Basically, it's that's how it's going to play out. There won't be any miracles like the end of a Disney movie. I don't think the E.T.s are going to show up and help us. I wouldn't. So that's that's the best we can do. Really, is educate, make changes, and talk about it.
0: Yep, I think so. I think people like you, the work you're doing, and the work I'm doing, and there are plenty of others around. Cassie, the steady state economy people. Brian Check is the boss fella there He's, he's always a good one to listen to um so yeah look that's all we can do and and i think if enough people talk look as i said going back to the 60s when i lived in america we saw we saw it a flame ignited around civil rights and things like that so the system can be changed and and again an american comparison you go back to the days of slavery when you know everyone would be saying well we we won't have an economy without slavery. We have to have it. We don't like it, but we've got to have it, sort of thing. Well, you got rid of it. The world didn't end. The economy readjusted. Um, you know, sometimes unethical things have to be gotten rid of, and you just say, "Well, we will manage the consequences," and we we can manage the consequences of getting rid of economic growth and stabilizing. It's a far, far more Interesting and attainable set of challenges than the challenges of trying to sustain endless growth on a finite planet.
1: And don't you find by just getting involved and doing anything that that brings within one a sense of hope and at least you're trying rather than a powerlessness or despair?
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, You know, sometimes it's tempting at the end of a tough day when you've had to deal with a lot of sometimes abuse because people don't like their paradigm being challenged. Um, you know you think why am I doing this you know I could just focus on myself but then you wake I wake up in the morning and think no I've got to keep going and it does it, it I would rather be aware and be active than be ignorant I think once you've seen you can't unsee so you're sort of stuck on that path You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.